0: John chapter 8, beginning verse 1, and Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, This woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? And this they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. I like this next word, but. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, "He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her." And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning to the eldest, even unto the least. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus lifted up himself, and saw none but the woman, he saith unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Had no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go, sin no more. Father, what a joy it is to be in this place this morning. We're thankful for the presence of the Spirit of God we're thankful for the Word of God that is before us we're thankful for the people of God uh, that are here, Lord, worshiping you and excited about the privilege of doing so. We thank you for this lord's day, Father, this day of new beginnings that you have given to us week after week, and we pray God that we might honor that and I pray, Lord, that if some man woman boy or girl needs a new start in this Life that this might be the day and the place and the hour, they get it. We're thankful for this message that you have given to us, this record we have of this great event that took place on the temple mount. We pray, God, this morning that the message that is in this passage, we might hear it and that we might heed it. God, we thank you for the Word, for its power, and how it's able to penetrate our heart. And I pray, God, our Father, that it would minister to all of us, both saints and sinners of life, as we listen and look, Lord, to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Bless, Lord, these lips of clay. Stir this mind. Refresh my memory. And, Lord, help me. Help me in a way that would honor and glorify you to set forth the Word this morning. And we'll praise you for it. We ask it in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, all of God's people said. I want to draw our attention to the last verse, verse 11, and what I've read. And the reason being, I believe this kind of expresses uh, the text that God has laid on my heart and the message that is in this passage. She said, after Jesus had asked her, Woman, where art thou thy, thy accusers? And she said, No, man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Listen to this, neither Do I condemn thee? Go and sin no more. Now, I want to set this message up even before I give you the text just a little bit, if, if I may. Jesus was, well, late in his hours and days on planet Earth he was automatically as the Son of God manifest in the flesh as the Son of Man drawn to the temple mount, drawn to that place that God said from this place, in essence, I'll make my name known throughout all the world. It is there at Mount Moriah, in the city of Jerusalem, in the nation of Israel, that God chose, friend, to make himself known. The Jews tell us that there are three uh, holy places in the world, the nation of Israel, the city of Jerusalem, and the Temple Mount, the place that Solomon built the temple that God gave the plans to his father David. And it was the place that God himself in his Shekinah glory in the holiest of holies in that temple would meet with his people. What a glorious place that it was. Even at the age of 12, Jesus was found uh, uh, after being left by his parents three days uh, behind on their way back up to Galilee. And when Mary and Joseph found them and asked him, why have you made us worry?" Jesus said, well, I'm, what must I be about my father's business? He was at home there because it was father's house. But here Jesus had been teaching. And uh, there were many questions about Jesus in that day as there is in this day. In the chapter above this, we'll find that they were celebrating, uh, no doubt, uh, the Feast of of Tabernacles. And it was a time where Jesus, as he did in the other parts of the book of John, made a great I Am statement and told them that he was the water of life. Now, as all of this was going on, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who had got together against Jesus had sent soldiers to trap him and to take him in his teaching in the temple. When they came back without Jesus in their hands, I believe that they came back with Jesus in their heart, their their officers or their rulers asked him, how come you haven't taken Jesus? And they said simply this. Now listen to this. This is a part of the message. No man spake like this man. The captors came to take Jesus captive, and they ended up being captive of his words. I pray that that happens to you today. I pray the word of God penetrates your heart and causes you to realize if you're lost that you need him as your Savior. Not just a Savior, but then again, there's only one. So if you get a Savior, it would have to be Jesus. Now there was a lot of differences uh, in, in, in ideas about who Jesus was. And the Pharisees, the Pharisees began to talk and they bantered back and forth about who Jesus was. And I'm going to pick it up just for clarity's sake here in verse 50. In chapter 7, And Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus, but I being one of them. This is Nicodemus of chapter 3 of John, who was also a Pharisee. He said, Doth our law judge any man before he hear him and know what he doeth? And they answered and said unto him, Meaning Nicodemus, art thou of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And look at the last verse of chapter 7. And every man went into his own house. So chapter 8 begins with this. And Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. Now I can't help but believe that the first verse of chapter... I'll get to my message in a minute. The first verse belongs to chapter 7. These men went to their house... And Jesus went to the Mount of Islands. I believe he spent the night there. I believe he spent many nights there in Garden of Gethsemane in prayer. But look now how the chapter continues. And here's where the message begins. And early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and he taught them there. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman is taken in adultery in the very act. Here is the cast of this scene. There is a man by the name of Jesus. There are Pharisees and Sadducees who normally were opposed to each other. But have you ever heard the old saying, the enemy of of your enemy is my friend? You ever hear that saying? Because both the Sadducees and the Pharisees hated Jesus, they got together and tried their best to eliminate Jesus, all of his teaching, and all of his plans. But do you know what? Man can never stop the work and the plan of Almighty God. And there was one other person that I'd like to mention is the woman caught in the very act of adultery. Could you imagine how she felt? All eyes were upon this woman. Can you imagine the shame? Can you imagine the humiliation of that she was experiencing that day? Now look, friend, I I believe that this woman was set up. I believe that there was more guilt in this than any of us uh, could imagine. And if, listen, friend, this wasn't nefarious, if it wasn't a conspiracy, and I'll mention that in a minute, where was the man that had committed adultery with this woman? That they drugged and threw down before Jesus in the midst of a crowd. Can I tell you all what, friend? Knowing our own sin is bad enough, but when it becomes public, open to the thoughts and the verbiage and the jeers of men that are sinners themselves, what a sad situation. I I don't know about you all, but, but I can feel in my spirit Part of what I believe this woman, listen, if you've ever sinned and then been saved by the grace of God, I imagine you too can feel the agony of this woman's spirit, the fears of her heart, that which gripped her that day. She wasn't there because she wanted to be. She was there because she was made to be. Are y'all with me in this? What a cast that was there on that day. I imagine this woman was praying for mercy, deserving none. But thank God, before the morning was out, she found more grace than what she needed. The story begins here, but it doesn't end there. As we look down in this passage, we'll find that it ends with Jesus who became her Savior. So, look, if we will, in verses 3 and 4 again, and look at the conspiracy. The scribes and the Pharisees brought into him a woman taken in adultery. Let me stop right there and say something. This conspiracy wasn't about this woman that was guilty of a gross and grievous sin. Seems in our day, doesn't it, that adultery or fornication or shacking up or living together before you get married or any kind of premarital sex that you want to do, even among people that name the name of Christ, in our society, it seems to too many that it's okay. Listen to me. Everybody listen to me right now. Say amen. It's not okay. According to the Word of God, it's a sin Now, if we listen to societal thought and philosophy and ideologies, we'll say it's okay, it's no big deal. Listen to this preacher. Sin of any kind is a big deal. It's a big, big deal. God said that it's sin. I'm just telling you what this book says. But that's conspiracy. It wasn't about this woman. Again, if it had not been about this woman, the man that they had caught her with would be there too. I believe the Pharisees, as sure as I'm standing here, I believe the Pharisees, friendly listen, planned this and found willing, a willing partner in a man. Maybe not the woman, but a man so that they could bring her to Jesus. Now, here's the conspiracy to try to catch him in something that he would say in order to make an accusation against him to kill his influence and to kill the ministry that he came to do. Hey, listen, could I use simple Boone County language? That just ain't going to happen. The conspiracy, again, was not against the woman, but it was against Jesus. And when they had set her in the midst, they saying to him, Here's who they were after. Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. And you know, in essence, what they were saying, now, big boy, what are you going to do? How are you going to react? You've been preaching all this lovey-dovey stuff. You've been speaking a new message. And listen now, he never got rid of the law. He even had already said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. So they thought that they were getting him. In reality, he got them. That's the conspiracy. They didn't care. Listen, listen. Although they were doctors and lawyers of the law, They had PhDs all over the place. That was their specialty. That's what they lived in, and that's what they worked in and walked in. They cared nothing this day about the law of Moses. Oh, they wanted to use it to try to trap Jesus, but that wouldn't work. They were all about him on this day. So look in verses in verse five, and we'll find both the crisis and the challenge. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. And look at this—I I love the word "but." I highlighted it when I was reading uh, the passage of scripture. God laid it on my heart for the text of this message. But that changes thing. But says on the other hand, I mean, it's such a powerful word. But Jesus. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. There is the conspiracy. There is the crisis. There is the challenge for Jesus. Now, you old heads that have read the Bible, Lots of years are you that have walked with the Lord a few years. You all know the answer to this question. You know what it is. And that's why Jesus didn't say anything. He didn't have to. Do you know what they thought that they would do? They thought that they had him in a trap. They thought that they had him in a corner, such a corner that regardless of what he said, he would be wrong. You say, why, preacher? Well, number one, he couldn't go against the law. It's true if you turn to the book of Leviticus chapter 20 verse 10 you'll find that both the man and the woman that is involved in an adulterous situation were to be stoned. Now our world would say that's archaic. Our world would say that's a God. That's not a God of love. They're all on both accusations by the way and I don't have time to explain either of them. Just please trust me in that. Jesus couldn't deny the law. It was his law. It was holy. It was just. It was good. And by the way, that's one of the reasons Jesus said to the woman, neither do I condemn thee. The law already had. But you know, on the other hand, Jesus listened. He couldn't let her go now because of what the law said, but because of what Jesus was preaching. Y'all know what he was preaching? He was preaching the gospel of grace. Now, I know it's not mentioned that way in the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but he was living it. He wasn't preaching it with his his tongue, but he was living it with the steps that he took, the works of his hands that he did, and the messages um, that he spoke forth. You see, the gospel of the grace of God is the fact that Christ died for our sin, that he was buried, and that on the third day he arose out from among the dead so sinners like me and you could be saved. Now listen, they thought if he said, well, we've got a stoner, that's what they expected, That he turned that around too, that he had gone against his own public ministry. But on the other hand, if he just said, now we've got to love her and, and we're not going to condemn her and we'll just set her free, and that's what you'd get in a lot of churches nowadays. Y'all know that, don't you? If you want that kind of preaching, go down to Texas, uh, to Osteen's church, and you'll get all that that you want. And you don't have to travel that far to get to churches like that, by the way. We still preach this old King James Bible, amen. We still believe that we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But the good news is Jesus came and to seek and to save that which is lost. And we don't preach a limited atonement. We believe that when Jesus... I'm about to get happy right now. We believe that when Jesus shed his blood at Calvary, the blood that he shed was sufficient for the whosoever wills of this world to be saved. I say glory to God for that. So you know what Jesus did? He said nothing. Can I give all... Everybody listen to me right now say amen. I'm going to give us all a little bit of advice. Some of the best things you can say in life are nothing. I, I, I'm, I'm going to write this is a new. It says, T.K. Price be to. He that keepeth mouth shut in an appropriate time is blessed. Now, that's not inspired, but it's good, okay? That's just good common sense right there. A wise man, the Bible does say, is known for his fewness of words, Folks, listen, that's one of the reasons I, I don't have Facebook, I don't have Twitter, I don't have X, I don't have Instagram, don't have any of that. But I don't want to know what you say or what you think. Most of the time people say things without thinking. If I keep going, I'm going to get in trouble, aren't I? Right? I could dig right here the rest of the day, but I'm, I'm going to do my best to be kind. There is the crisis what are you going to do? And listen, listen to what he does. In verse 6, I like this. And I'm going to read on down to, I don't know, maybe to about verse 9. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger, he wrote on the ground. He said nothing. Now, you know what? I think this is amazing. There's probably been more things written about Jesus by all kinds of men in this world than any other single subject that there is known on planet Earth. And yet, this, as far as I can remember and know, is the only time that we find Jesus writing anything. Did you ever think about that? Pretty amazing, is it not? Now, it may have been his finger on Mount Sinai when he wrote those Ten Commandments in those stones that he gave to the nation of Israel via Moses. But it goes on to say this, So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself unto them. And you know what he did? He shot a dart, right? You know, that's what the Word of God, that's where the Word of God goes. You say, well, preacher, it goes into my ear. It may go into your ear, but I'll tell you what, it's destination, sir, ma'am, is your heart. And I'll guarantee you, that's why you and I get a little nervous when somebody preaches the Word of God. It goes to our heart. This book is as a sharp, two-edged sword that will pierce the very heart of mankind. And he said this. He goes on to say, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Now wait just a minute. I don't believe this is a general statement of, Sir, ma'am, if you've not sinned, go ahead and pick up your stones and, and, and let them go. I don't believe that's what he's talking about. I believe he's talking about these old crusty Pharisees that maybe traveled out of Jerusalem to other cities around the world that may have been doing some uh, uh, ungodly stuff on the side. I believe he was referring to a particular sin of their heart the sin of adultery. I believe that's all in my heart until I get to heaven, and God tells me I was wrong. I believe that. He knew their heart. Oh, news flash, he knows mine, he knows yours. And all of a sudden, listen to what the Word of God says He that was out sin among you, let him cast the first uh, a stone at her. And he, and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And I love this. Sinner friend, this is where you need, if you're a sinner in here today, if you come lost, if you come lost knowing if you were to die today, you wouldn't go to heaven, this is for you. You need to, get, you need to do what this woman did, get alone with Jesus. It's one of the best places you could be. One of the most uncomfortable, but one of the best places. Listen now what this says. Beginning to the eldest, even in the least, they went out. Jesus left alone. The woman, you know what? I believe some of them already had some rocks. So when Jesus, listen now, I know this sounds crazy. I don't know what the Lord's doing with my preaching. He changes it seem like from week to week, but that's all right. When they heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, they went out, beginning at the eldest, and as they were going out, I believe you could hear. I believe those rocks were hitting the ground. Anybody in here ever been convicted beside me? You say, explain it. I don't have to. Anybody that's old enough to be in this room this morning, this sanctuary, you know what conviction is. And if you're real little, boys and girls, listen to me. You know when you're getting in the cookie jar and your mom's in three rooms down, nowhere near seeing you in the house, and she hollers and says, What are you doing? And that thousand million trillion volts hits you. You become paralyzed. You know what I'm talking about? That's conviction. You know it when it happens. Conviction. Huh. I, now, please don't say anything. Hear me closely. Even if you don't hear me clear, don't say anything. it will be in a How many of y'all love conviction? Say amen. How many of you are thankful convic- for conviction? Say amen. Big difference. Let's be honest. Nobody likes to get under conviction. And I go back to this woman. Can you, can you even imagine for a moment how she felt? Every eye was disposed upon her. Everybody's got an opinion, even when they don't know all the facts. And They'll tell you. Can you imagine how she wished she were anywhere but where she was? question herself, why did I get trapped into this? Why did I agree to this? Oh, God, how sorry I am. Now, listen to me. There's a difference in remorse and repentance. I don't don't mind remorse if it leads to repentance. There ought to be some remorse when we sin. But I'll tell you what. Remorse isn't enough to get things fixed up because of that sin. You've got to repent in order to be saved. And you'll never repent until you realize you've sinned and are a sinner. See, this woman was in a crisis. I mean, this was a place where, listen, she could decide on what would happen to her and in her life from that point forward week before last I preached on Rahab out of Joshua chapter 2 she was a harlot she lived in Jericho a city that was destined for destruction but when she heard the word of God she believed the word of God and she repented and proved that she had by the works that she did you know what she did? The text of the message was how Ahab turned things around. Listen, sinner friend. She turned it around like I did. Everybody in here that's Save say amen. Turned it around just like you did. And if you're in here lost, turned it around like you can this morning if you will. And it starts with realizing you're a sinner. Listen, they didn't have to drag this woman into this Temple Mount area in the court of the women, uh, disheveled and shameful for her to realize she was a sinner. She may have never said, I am a sinner. But she knew it in her heart. And if you are as I was, I knew it. I knew it. You never go anywhere until you realize you're a sinner. You'll never get to the next step of repentance, the next step regeneration, becoming a new creature in Christ. Huh. The conviction. I don't believe this. I don't believe this. listen, this woman was alone as far as her partner. He wasn't there. But I going to tell you something. She wasn't alone in her conviction. Let's go on and get to the end of this. Pick it up in the latter part of verse 9, I believe it is. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said, under her, woman, where are those thine accusers? Had no, listen to this man, condemn thee. I'm going to scan this congregation. I want you all to scan me. I'm going to try to look at everybody. I'm going to say something some of you may not like, but it's going to be real and true. None of us have any right to condemn anybody else. Oh, I needed more help on that. And I'm going to say it again because I want more help. But I believe some of you were really thinking about it. None of us have the right to condemn anyone else. Let me help all of us. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. I I love it when people testify most of the time. I I pay attention to testimonies. As a pastor, you would understand that. And I, I, I love hearing people say, their heart, they're sincere, and they'll say, I didn't deserve to be saved. You know what I want to stand up and do and say, amen. (laughs) I don't believe I'd go over real well, but I wanted to say, listen, listen, our salvation isn't about our deserving it. Our salvation is about our needing it. Grace is a gift. Grace is not a reward. Grace is something that God gives us in light of what Christ gave so God could. Christ gave his life's blood so that God could give us his life. How wonderful that is! We don't have a right to condemn anybody. I used to be bad about that. See, I'm going to confess. I confess more than any of y'all in here. Y'all know that? I confess. Where's David? Stallnaker? where you at? Raise your hand, dude. Where you at, David? There he is in the back. John Soys, raise your hand. I know where you're. Hey, these are ex-Catholics. Hey, you know what I do? I believe I confess a lot more than a lot of Catholics do. (laughs) Amen. I hope that doesn't offend anybody. If it does, you'll have to get over it because I'm fine. (laughs) Confessing to a man... It's good confess one to another. The Bible says that. But listen, that dude that got his head on backwards sitting in that box opposite side of you in another box, he cannot forgive you of sin except the sin you commit against him. Boy, that's good preaching right there. We need a higher priest. We got one in Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said. I'm, I'm, I'm about done. Listen to the conclusion of it again. I want to read those two verses. When Jesus lifted up himself, saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Had no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, He said the strangest things, don't you think? Well, now look, look, look. If he really was upholding the law of Moses, why didn't he say, Look, I ain't do this, sis, but we got to stone you? you ever wonder about that? He he never did away with the law of Moses, did he? He he, he never said it wasn't any good. It's, It's no longer... Listen, the law still works. Jesus fulfilled it, but the law still has a power and a purpose. It'll bring you under conviction so you can be saved. You're not saved by the law. You're condemned by the law. I don't care if you could and nobody ever can except Jesus keep all the Ten Commandments. They're not given to save people. They're given to condemn people and it causes them to realize how great a need they have for a Savior. And Jesus, listen, he just didn't say, you know what, you, you know what, he might have called her dear or young lady or madam or whatever, I'm going to set you free, though, because simply because I love you, I know you're a good person. And here's how some of these mega church pastors would preach: you, you got you got God in you, you got so much good in you. All you need is to have somebody to help you let it come out of you. Wouldn't that what they'd preach, Josh? Right? Is that a pretty good way to say it? Listen to what Jesus said: neither do I condemn thee. The strangest statement that he could have made. Neither could I. Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Now, how could he say that? I want to ask you a couple questions here. Come on, Judy, don't start yet, but come on. She loves playing it, and I like listening to it. And that woman's spot on when she heads to that piano. If you're here very long and you watch her, I didn't know what she was doing when I first come here to Roxalana. Listen. She's in touch with the Spirit, so don't you worry about her when she goes, okay? A couple of questions. When everybody else left, all of those people that conspired against this woman to bring her there, and the onlookers that came that wondered, what in the world were they going to see? Now look, I, I can't get down as easy as I used to because I'm old and my knees, uh, that's about as good as it'll get. Now, Jesus, now look, look at my head. Everybody, everybody look at the screen if you can. Where's my head at right now? I mean, I'm, I, I, I can barely see some of you all, but I can't see what you're doing. Now, I'm going to ask you something. While he was writing, those that got under conviction... Or, or under condemnation, begin to leave. Why did she stay? How many of you all, how many of you all on this side, if Jesus had his head down, and you know you had an answer to him, and all of your accusers were gone, how many of you all would have felt like if he didn't break and run about that time, you figure, man, I can get out of here? Oh, y'all are lying out your teeth. I'm going to have a good altar call from this side of the church so y'all best get the message. Have you ever gotten in trouble? And whoever comes to catch you, when, you got, when their back was turned, you went out there like a scared haint? How many of you all, while Jesus with his head down, saw the others going out to condemn me, would think, man, I'm getting out of town too. Now raise your all's hand. You all are saved going to heaven, no doubt in my mind. This side may have... No, I'm just kidding. But wouldn't that be our nature? Some ask you the question, what kept her there? What kept her there? They got under condemnation. They left. She got under conviction and was drawn to him. That's a difference. No doubt in my mind. Now listen to me carefully. Salvation is not about feelings, but there are feelings in salvation. It's by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. She felt something. And she heard something in the words of Jesus. So she stuck out. You know what she went? How many of y'all remember Paul Harvey? You younger generation, you ought to Google him. Honestly, and listen to him. A wise man, I believe he was a believer. The best I could figure out, that man was a godly man. And he'd come back and say, now the rest of the story. Well, here's the rest of the story. Jesus looked up at her and said, neither do I condemn thee. And here's the message for all of us, go and sin no more. That ought to be, if we're saved, that ought to be our our motto to live by. But she didn't go anywhere. She was constrained, I believe, by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, because I believe somewhere or another she knew that she was in the presence of someone who could have condemned her, but chose rather to forgive her. Now, wait just a minute. The last question I'm going to ask and answer, and then I'm going to give the altar call. But how could he do that? how could Jesus do that how could he do that not break the law and yet protect his new message of grace and mercy and forgiveness he knew what no one else at that time probably knew he knew that he had calvary ahead of him he knew that he'd be nailed to an old rugged cross he knew that he would be scourged, buffeted, denied, forsaken, ridiculed, abused, mocked and scoffed, spat upon and crucified and even if you will allow me to say it forsaken of God, the Father himself. You saw I preach you've gone too far. No I haven't. Jesus cried. In the darkness, the last three hours of the sixth, when he was suspended between the heaven and the earth, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Couldn't imagine that. The theologian Martin Luther that hung the 93 thesis on the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, when he was meditating on that passage of Scripture, he came away after hours of considering it, and he simply said, God, forsaken by God. And let me tell you why. For me and you. He could tell this woman to listen, this woman wasn't getting by scot-free. She got what you and I did, what she did not deserve. She got grace and she got mercy because Jesus was going to pay the price for her sin. He was going to suffer her hell, and he was going to endure his separation from God. You see, Jesus, who is God like Romans 4 says, is able to call those things that be not as though they were. He's able to speak of the future as though it were the past. He knew about Calvary. He knew what Calvary would produce. He knew what Calvary would provide. And he knew in what he was doing at Calvary, how it would preserve God's holiness, satisfy God's just demands, and allow him to remain righteous as he declared sinners like me and you and this unnamed woman here on that morning at Mount Moriah in the temple area, the court of the women, righteous. Didn't make a righteous, but declared a righteous. So every head bowed, nobody looking around.